0: Season 2 of Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, living through a pandemic, reinventing yourself, and chasing adventure. My name is Jeff. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get to it. Alright, welcome back to Inside My Canoe Head. Uh, today we're going to go over the last two critical infrastructure sectors, uh, water and food. Now, a lot of times whenever you listen to emergency preparedness information, you watch some guy or girl or other on YouTube or some other social media source, the first thing they tell you is stockpile water and food. So I intentionally left this to the end because other than just ramming cans of bean down your pie hole, there's a little bit more in detail you need to think about when we talk about food and we talk about water so today we're going to go over food and water we're going to look at the different effects of the choices you will make on not only what you will choose but how you will cook it how you will store it and how you will worry about keeping yourself and everything around you clean as with a lot of things we do it is a little bit more complicated than simply buying ramen so first of all we're going to kick off today with having a discussion about water. Water is the most important element in life. If without water, I don't care how much stored food you have, you're gone in a couple of days. It's really that simple. So essentially, it's what we call your paramount consideration in survival. The recommended planning figure for developed countries is four liters of potable water per person per day. I mean, you're going to utilize that when considering volumetrics for how much water is required to meet the planning timeline you selected. So if you decide, you know, listen, I, I really want to be self-sufficient in my house for 21 days. It's a pretty simple math problem. If you got five people times four, you need 20 liters a day. You're going to need roughly 400 litres of potable water stored in your house at any one time. Um, But then you also got to think about sewage and septic systems. You know, they permit toxic agents to be removed from your residence. I mean, if you no longer have access to a sewage system for whatever reason, now we're not going to go into the finite details of why your septic system stops working in your rural residence or the public sewage system is not available. The question is, how are you going to dispose of human waste? Further, hygiene is a critical element and often overlooked. You know, how will you and your family members remain clean? Washing clothes, clean your residence. Waterborne diseases are often the first to appear after a disaster, and they sometimes will cause more death and disruption and strain on the healthcare system than the actual disaster itself. I mean, these are all due to failure of potable water, and waste systems. Hence, it's important to consider these elements carefully, ensuring that all your family members' individual requirements are addressed. So let's first look at the factor of municipal water systems. So I live in a rural, uh, sorry, an urban environment in Canada's capital city of Ottawa in a townhouse development. It's pretty simple. I have municipal water. I turn on the tap, I get potable water. Uh, It's tested regularly, and most of us have... um, you know, incredible amount of trust in our, in our public servants to be able to deliver that municipal water. If I don't have access to that, I now have to, what does that look like for me? You know, what, what do, what are the considerations in my family? So obviously we need to drink water. You need probably for a reasonably sedentary lifestyle. I always plan on two liters of Of drinking water to basically keep your bodily functions up you can go with a little less but then you start getting into biological problems with kidney functions etc so i mean let's just go with two waters two liters of water to drink per day so when i don't have water i need to prevail to provide that water so what does that so what question look like so what i need to have water so what uh i need to have X number of liters of water available per person per day. So what? I need to go buy it. So that's how you get to that task that'll say you have to have so much. So what I've chosen to do, because it's easier for me and just an example for you, is I use uh, 20 liter water jerry cans. So they're made by a company called Scepter. They're a little expensive. They're $35 Canadian each, but they're robust. They're they're built to last. And then I rotate my water. So about every six months, I will take out my potable water system and I will basically pour them out one at a time refill them and uh, store them away again so I have that ability I like those cans because they have a pour spout so it's uh it's fairly easy not perfectly easy but it's fairly easy to put out the water and then I mean I live in a house that has a hot water tank so inside that hot water tank is 200 liters of potable water so altogether, I have my water supply so well water is another thing. And this is something I realized in, you can laugh at me all you want, cause this is how you figure stuff out. Uh, I lived in my first rural property with well and septic. Uh, we had a big power outage. So I figured, you know what? I, I got tons of hot water downstairs in, in this container. Why don't I just run a tub for the kids and they can have a big fun tub by the, you know, by this candlelight and it'd be lots of little adventure. Uh, I forgot that you actually need a water pump to move that water and you need power because it's not a pressurized line by the city. So basically about two seconds later, the water stopped coming out of my pipe and I realized something that I need power to move that water. And therefore, that's something else consideration when you're in a well water uh, if the power is out, you've now affected your ability to deliver well water unless you have a battery backup supply on your water pump, which is something you have to consider. So you have to remove that waste water. Now, it could be grey water, which is the stuff out of your washing machine, the stuff out of your shower, or it could be black water, which is the things you put into the toilet and then you flush the toilet. You need that to leave your house. You can't have it sit around. If you have a family of five, living in a house and the power is out or the water is gone for three days uh you're going to need to empty that toilet and the average toilet in canada takes about a gallon of water maybe two so that could be four to eight liters of water to per flush so you have to consider that in your water requirements because as long as the gravity fed sewage system is working i.e., you can dump it out of the house you have to have the potable water to put or some form of water to put in the back of the toilet tank to be able to flush it because without municipal water it won't refill now if that doesn't work and you and for whatever reason there's a blockage or a stoppage in the sewer system which does happen in water overflow situations where you can have a backup of sewage and most modern homes have the sewage blocker to actually prevent the sewage from coming into your house like backing up from the street into your house, which is really nasty, um, but you can't put it down. So basically, you have to figure out where you're going to go the bathroom when you can't use your toilet in your home anymore. Is basically how it gets down to. Now the internet is full of all kinds of great ways to do it. It's really not that expensive. It's really no more than a five gallon bucket, a garbage bag, and some pine and some, you know, some uh, ashes to put on top of it. Or wood chips, wood chips, not ashes Ashes are okay for um, true outhouses, but wood chips. So basically, you know, you can get a five gallon bucket with a toilet seat on top of it from any regular retailer for about 20 bucks. You get a couple of heavy duty garbage bags and go to your animal supply store and buy a bunch of wood chips for the hamsters. I mean, that's basically how you do it. And then you have to have a place when those bags are full to store them. Uh, I'm going to strongly suggest don't use the basement as a place to put the toilet, because can you imagine carrying that garbage bag up the stairs and it breaking? I'm just going to throw it out there. All these things need to be considered. But you need to have a way to dispose of human sewage. It could be simply of digging cat holes in the backyard, whatever your thing is. The next is sanitation. And we really have to consider this because I've worked some time in the humanitarian space. And when you look at what happens around the world, when you have a major earthquake or a major disaster, about 2 to 3 days later you start to see the exposure and the presence of waterborne illnesses cholera being a number one that come out and it starts to spread because of lack of hygiene and sanitation and this simply means your ability to wash yourself and keep yourself clean now we've been piling this down people's throats properly so during this pandemic about the need for personal hygiene, the need to wash your hands, you need to sanitize. So as of right now, most of us probably have sufficient. But again, you have to have an ability to wash your hands. So if, I mean, I'm sure you have shampoo in your house. I'm sure you have soap in your house. It's just a consideration of how are we going to do this now? The water supply may not be working, but I still have to wash my hands. How do you heat up a little bit of water? Stone cold freezing water is not all that pleasant. Uh, I've shaved in it during the mili- my career in the military, and it's not a lot of fun, but you have to go through the, so what questions and come to the point, you know, do you simply have a couple of bars of soap set aside and a couple of towels for, for emergencies? And you probably have it anyhow. So more than likely in a developed world, this is going to be largely a non-issue and you're going to have the ability to keep yourself clean, but then how you have a shower when there's no water flow. You know, how do you do what we call in the military a bird bath? So basically, you stand on a towel, you strip down to your birthday suit, you grab a little bowl of warm water and a soap and a cloth, and you give yourself a bath. I mean, same as you would do in a hospital. It's a, you know, sponge bath, towel bath, whatever you want to call it. That's how you do it. And you you basically go ahead and carry on and take care of it. So it's really not going to be that much of an issue. But it is an important one to consider when you're thinking about water. So now as we move on to food, food obviously uh, is a very, very important subject. Uh, We all like to eat. We have to consider a lot of parts though when we talk about the food. I mean we have grocery stores, farmers markets, restaurants, food delivery services, all these things in a modern society that we utilize. We have to consider examining each separately. I mean grocery stores may be accessible but the farmers markets remain open. Uh, Look at You know, critically, how your family accesses and utilizes all of these services. Are they essential over your planning period? If your employment is included in the CI, what does that world look like for you? If some members of your family work in this field, if you utilize these services to sell your products, that needs to be a priority consideration. You know, food is an obvious but yet a dangerously simple CI. Take time in considering the sources for food. Don't be dismissive by believing you have sufficient supplies in your home. Talk through how often and at what volumes you access these elements of the food CI and walk through the analysis. The end result may be that you are completely prepared. You, you may realize you actually have more days of food in your house than you think. But I caution making this conclusion without a complete consideration. So let's look at grocery stores. So. They didn't close during the pandemic, but in the beginning you saw a great rush into them because people weren't sure what the suit. I mean a lot of people didn't understand supply chain, uh, how it works in the grocery industry, so they were afraid of the stores running out. there were stores of there were stories on the news about potential supply chain disruptions uh, within North America and a bit of you know apocalyptic talk went around and people bought into it and they went crazy into the grocery stores. But in reality, the grocery stores work on a very deliberate and well-run supply chain. It basically means they they expect to see 10% of their supported population uh, every day. So they basically expect every family to go in about every 10 days to resupply. And so they usually carry depending on the product between one to three days of supply in their back storeroom room and on their shelves, but mostly on their shelves. So if you think about that, if they're expecting 10% of the neighborhood every day and they resupply every three days, when 50% of the neighborhood shows up in one day, you're going to stock out and what you have on stock is insufficient. And the follow on delivery of your regularly organized system is barely going to meet what was taken the last time. So you can see very quickly all that happened in the grocery industry is we had an increased volume of customers in a short period of time, which disrupted the delivery system, but nothing disrupted the actual supply chain. In Canada, we have some of the largest forests in the world and some of the most robust pulp and paper industries. We will never run out of toilet paper in this country. It was just how the supply chain and the delivery system was set up. But think about how often you go to the grocery store. Think about what your world would look like if, for whatever reason, grocery stores were not available. Forget the reason. We don't know why. It could be a million and one different ones. Same thing goes for farmer markets and stands. If you're a fresh guru during the summer and that's where you get your things, And all of a sudden that's not available. Maybe the grocery stores are open or maybe they're not. I mean, restaurants, a lot of us like to go out to eat. We're finding during this pandemic as we open and close, going through first, second, and now third waves in Ontario. You look at the point of it's just a luxury. There's no requirement to do it. But I really like going out for a meal. So what does that world look like when you don't? Well, we know what that world looks like. We know the inconvenience that causes And what did we do? We probably, the data that we have right now basically says that most Canadians actually increased their consumption of restaurant food, but they did it through food delivery services. So again, this is another element of the food critical infrastructure that supports. Now I understand transportation and I understand the supply chain that supports it. Remember, that was all discussed in the transportation critical infrastructure episode. Today, we're just talking about those customer-facing elements of the of the food supply chain where you actually access. So what does that world look like? Really, when you dumb down the food CI, you have to ask yourself this question. How long do I want to be able to remain in my house and utilize the food supplies that I have before I need to access some form of the supply chain to resupply? Blunt basic question. For everybody, it's going to be different. I've settled on 60 days. I have 60 days of food for my entire family in this house. Uh, No matter what happens to the food supply chain, I have no requirement to go to the grocery store for a period of time. I will go because as a good preparedness individual, I don't want to just sit at home and eat through my supplies because eventually that's going to become a bad plan. So I'm still going to attempt to go out and get, but none of my attempts to go out and get food are going to be based upon a need to actually feed myself. It's a need to maintain my preparedness level and capability. Uh, One other thing that I do to mitigate fresh food is I've, last year I did it, and this year I've signed up again for community-supported agriculture, which means the farmer and I uh, both accept the risk. So I've paid a little less than $500 to get a huge share of vegetables to be delivered to a place where I pick up. It's like five minutes from my home. And I get uh, a week's supply of vegetable, fresh farm fresh vegetables for the family starting in July, running till October every week. So the farmer and I both accept risk because if it's a great bumper season I get massive amounts of veggies if it's a bad wet and destructive season I don't get much veggies so we both take a risk in it but I know my supply chain is literally measured in kilometers and there are three people who touch my food three human beings who touch my food prior to getting to me and that gives me pandemic uh feel good you know what I mean So the point being is, is that I take different steps, not only having 60 days, but having a community supported agriculture, growing a few herbs and things like that in my backyard and practicing my potato uh, growing this season. I'm just doing all kinds of little things to help mitigate that. But that's the kind of questions or answers you come to in the so what when you look at food. So now you've taken time and you've looked at water and food. So we've studied them both. Uh, You have a reasonable timeline of what you think it will look, the future will look like. I, you know, I'd love to sit around for 21 days in my house. I'd love to sit around for 60 days. I often get asked this timeline question and I often get asked, you know, what's the right number of days of supply for you to be, you know, considered prepared? Uh, That's a very individual answer, and I'm going to give you the politically correct answer, um, whatever you come up with. So the point being is is that you have to look at the size and nature of your family. So for example, I ha- I'm married to my best friend. I have two wonderful children who are just about both in their 20s. So they're both grown young men. So they eat like horses. So I have four adults to feed in my house. We are all upwardly and physically mobile individuals, which means if, nece- if necessary, we can relocate to some alternate location to for whatever reason. So the point being is, is that I look at the fact that 60 days for me is sufficient timeline to be able to say, okay, if society is not coming back after 60 days, we have bigger problems than my food supply. Okay, something has significantly disrupted the human existence to the point where society has got to its knees. In other words, it's not um, producing its normal level of service. So people talk about collapse. What does collapse look like? And again, this is a reason why we use critical infrastructure here at Inside My Canoe Head, because those are the support structures of the modern society that we all live in and enjoy. So if you want to understand the definition of collapse of society, you look at the removal of critical infrastructure. One or 2 their disruptions. We've talked about on this podcast about how to deal with each and every one of those. So now what you're going to do is look at the longer game, shall we say. What does it look like when those come down and they don't come back? So that's going to be the focus of an upcoming episode. The next episode we have here on Inside My Canoe Head is going to be about building your final plan. We're gonna talk about three elements. We're gonna talk about putting together all these micro plans that you came up with over the 10 critical elements or critical infrastructure elements. We're gonna talk about how to develop a family preparedness plan as an all around picture for you and your family to have it. And then we're gonna talk about how to update it. Um, so this is where we basically bring together all of that hard work that you've done over the last couple of weeks in examining your exposure to critical infrastructure. And you're going to put together a plan that's individual for your family done for you by you in consideration. So thank you very much for joining us this week on Inside My Canoe Head. Please drop by our YouTube channel. Give us a like and subscribe. If you want to reach out, leave a comment in any one of those places. Put a review on this podcast, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, drop me an email at jeff@preparednesslabs.ca at my corporate side. Thanks again. Stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week.